Hey everyone, before the episode starts, we just wanted to let you all know that this episode was recorded before the sample for The Running Grave was released. So if you're one of the people who did not want to read it or didn't get a chance to read it before it was removed, don't worry, there are no spoilers in this episode. We hope you enjoy. everyone, and welcome back to The Strike and Ellicott Files, an unofficial podcast dedicated to all things Cormoran Strike and Robin Ellicott, as written by Robert Galbraith. My name is Kenz. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Pools. And today we'll be continuing our reread of The Ink Black Heart, this time covering chapters 93 through 97 of part 5. Please be aware, as always, that our discussion of The Ink Black Heart will occasionally reference the ending of this book, as well as the rest of the books in the series. We don't really have more news since the cover and synopsis dropped, but we can talk a bit about J.K. Rowling's birthday cake. Oh, and happy belated birthday yes. to mm-hmm. Joe. Happy birthday. I hope it was amazing. Me too. I mean, that had a great cake. Yeah, coffee and walnut. We know Strike liked it. Yeah. I love that she put her favorite cake in the books for Strike to enjoy. That is really sweet. But yeah, she tweeted on her birthday and shared that she had an I Ching themed cake, which she Mm -hmm. called a running grave reference. And if you look in the background, there were also I Ching cards around the table. And they're really pretty cards, too. Her husband must have planned that for her. I guess he's read the book. So jealous. Right? (laughs) Make me your best friend. I'll read the book. I'll make you all kinds of cakes. Well, I'll get Lindsay to make you all kinds of cake. Oh, wait, wait a second. I like this arrangement where you get to read the books (laughs) and I just get to make the cake. It doesn't seem fair. Okay, that's a fair point. But yeah, that was a really cute cake. With the synopsis dropping, I had kind of forgotten about the I Ching, and it reminded me of how excited I was for that. I still want to know if it's just the epigraphs or if it'll be an actual part of the novel, like in Men in the High Castle, which I read a little while ago, which is a Philip K. Dick book where the I Ching plays a huge role in the plot. And I'm curious. I want to know because I feel like someone in a cult could be using the I Ching, right? Maybe. I had thoughts about this too. I put them in our predictions document that we're going to do next week. Oh, good. I'll have to save mine for that. Yeah, maybe we can talk about it more. I, too, am very excited to see how it's incorporated. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. And we won't know for another, how many days is it? 51. We're at 51? Yeah. Oh, wow. That feels really soon. Yeah, it's next month. I don't think I'm going to be prepared. Emotionally or emotionally, physically, mentally, financially, all of the different methods of preparedness. I'm just, I'm not there yet. I feel that on a spiritual level. Spiritually (laughs) as well. What do you need to be? (laughs) I don't know what I need. I just feel like I don't have it. I just (laughs) feel like I'm not ready and that I'm going to be murdered by this book. I always feel this weird sense when I first get the book where I sit there staring at the first page and I can't start reading it because I'm too excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really cute. I remember really, really feeling that with Troubled Blood. Just too excited to read. It was strong, yeah. I've never had that problem. The second I can get my little hands on it, I'm like, oh. I was by myself in my room and I'm looking at the first page and I'm looking around like there's nobody in here, but I'm looking around like... 
I don't know what to do. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) This might be taking it too far, but I wonder if the lines on her cake, the I Ching lines were intentional or they're just random. I want to say that one of our listeners had taken a look at that. I'm not sure that it was anything important necessarily. So this was kind of funny. I I do remember seeing a lot of comments after she posted that picture talking about how it reminded them of the Dharma Initiative logo from Lost. I don't know if either one of you guys are familiar with that, but I thought that was funny. I didn't think it until somebody said it and then I could see it too. Hold on, Dharma Initiative. I only watched like half a season of Lost. Yes, that really looks like that a lot. Here, oh, here it okay. is. Well, now I'm going to have to... Mm-hmm. Here's oh. the Dharma Initiative logo. Oh. Yeah, oh, it really does. <laughs> that kind of makes me wonder if that is what the Dharma Initiative was going for. Well, now we have to go back and rewatch Loss. Yeah. Directly connected with fringe science, Sanskrit term used in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism. Interesting. Okay. Maybe the Dharma Initiative really is using the I Ching because that's exactly what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Almost exactly. Like I'm wondering if the... <laughs> the lines match up because it's really similar. Someone should probably check. Hold on, I'm, I'm about to open it right now. <laughs> Man, this is opening up a huge can of worms. Where's Joe's Twitter? I gotta... No, no, yeah, I'm opening Joe's Twitter right now. Okay, it's. I can tell that it's different already because the bottom one, the center line, is solid in the Dharma Initiative and it's broken in Joe's cake. But that is really similar. That's oh, funny. Oh, yeah. They are all different. Oh, no. Top left is the yes, same. Yes, top left is the same. This Dharma initiative is definitely eaching. It has to be. Yeah. Also, just from a cake perspective, I really enjoy looking at cakes and figuring out how they're made. You could do this cake. Yeah. The only thing I can't do is the whole cake is covered in fondant, and that's really difficult for me oh, to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if those nine candles on Joe's cake correspond to there being nine parts of the book or if that was just random. I thought the same thing. Yeah, Mm. I think that could be it. I mean, like you said last time, Ken's, she might not be going full Easter egg here. Mm -hmm. Not going full Taylor Swift. Yeah, but it could be. Always more fun, though, if we assume that it is all full Taylor Swift and going, yeah, "Yeah, okay, in the end, it doesn't mean anything. But we had fun along the way. And isn't that the most important part, guys? Do you remember what part she said she was on that one time when she talked about being two thirds of the way done? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I think that it was around last Christmas. She said that she had finished writing part six and was starting part seven. And then she finished the book around the middle-ish, maybe three quarters of the way through February. Okay, so nine parts make sense for that timeline, right? Maybe-ish? Yes. Yeah, she could get through the rest of those parts, I'm sure. Easy. Especially if she was feeling inspired. She seems to have just fucking flown through this book. So, Which like, I think yeah. is a really good sign. I'm just going to say it. I think it's a good sign that's going to be a really good book. and <laughs> Really fun to read. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. If she's excited about writing it, I'm triple excited to read it. Oh, yeah. Super excited. I'm ready, except for when I get it in my hands and then I don't know what to do with it. I feel like I need to go on like a meditation retreat to prepare myself. Just go up into a mountain and sit there and just clear every thought from my head and contemplate the universe to prepare me to accept this novel into a <laughs> brain. That might be a crazy thing to say. Compared to other things you've said, it's fine. I could take a vow of silence. Everyone would be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we jump into the chapters? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Chapter 93. All right. In chapter 93, Strike is accosted by Madeline in the street, and Robin tells Strike about the death threat she received. So the epigraph to this chapter. 
My clothes are wet and my teeth are set and the way was hard and long. Oh, lift me over the threshold and let me in at the door. And that is from The Witch by Mary Elizabeth Coleridge. I think this is just about Strike trying desperately to make it home. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, it definitely describes his yeah. whole journey in this chapter, poor guy. I had another interpretation, though, in addition to that one. Okay. Sort of looking at the poem as a whole, in which the titular witch is begging to be led into someone's home. That's what the poem is about. And it says, her voice was the voice that women have who plead for their heart's desire, which, well, is a little bit of Madeline in this chapter. Are you calling her a witch? I'm not not calling her a witch. Yeah. (laughs) But when the person in the poem does hurry to let in the poor witch and lift her over the threshold, the very spooky ending of the poem implies that this was the last thing that that person ever does because it says, she came, she came in the quivering flame, sunk and died in the fire. It never was lit again on my hearth since I hurried across the floor to lift her over the threshold and let her in at the door. I felt like this is very Madeline. She wants Strike to want her. She's begging Strike to talk to her, although they're kind of past the point of that. But to let her in would be at his own peril. I do think that this passage is best suited to Strike in this chapter, but I really Mm. do like that dark twist at the end of that poem. It was really good. I read it and I was like, ooh, spooky. Ooh, Ooh, M-E-C, you got it. The chapter opens with Strike sitting on a bench at Victoria Station for almost an hour because his leg was hurting so badly. And this is going to sound weird and I can't really explain why this is true for me. But when I looked this place up, it instantly became one of those places where I could just immediately see Strike sitting there amongst the crowd and it made everything feel so real to me. Mm -hmm. It seems strange in comparison to the other bigger, more prominent places in the book. I think it's the mundane that really does that for me and picturing him within Mm -hmm. that. Does it sound Mm -hmm. cheesy and weird? No, no, not at all. That makes a lot of sense. The only other time where I've had this strong of an image of Strike standing there after seeing the location online is with, I can't remember what station it is. It's another station, but it's in Trouble Blood where he's waiting for Robin to pick him up. It's outside, raining. He's standing under an awning smoking. The description of it was just so vivid to me that when I saw the pictures, I could just see him there. Interesting that both of these moments for you are about the waiting because being suspended in time and still while surrounded by life like in a sort of Mm -hmm. liminal stage of journeying. Maybe something about that just grabs your imagination. Maybe. In a powerful way. Yeah. I was going to make some kind of joke about grabbing and strike in imagination, but it didn't form in my brain. Didn't quite pan out. I appreciate what you're trying to do. You get what I was going to like. Yeah, yeah, of course. It just didn't work. It's a thought that counts. (laughs) Thank you. I try. Yeah, I feel the same way about that scene in the Notes Cafe in Trouble Blood where Strike is hunched over eating his roll under those spidery sort of light fixtures. Because like you can just see him there so vividly. I agree. It's just that feeling like I could visualize him standing there was kind of like catching a sight of Bigfoot or something, you know? Some kind of big hairy animal, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I bet he has big feet. Or... Uh A big foot, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he does have size 14s. That's a pretty big foot. Is that for real? Yes, it's confirmed. It's a pretty big foot. And you know what they say? I knew I knew you were going to do it. Big foot, big brain. That's what they say. You can tell by this opening paragraph that he's just in a really bad place with his leg. And next comes the bargaining with God. I just find this interesting because I think every single thing that he says happens, the good and the bad. So he is going to lose weight and he is going to stop smoking. He does make it home. 
but he also does collapse in the street. I just find it interesting. Yeah, that's so true. This is one of my favorite parts of this book, just because it's so vulnerable for him. You know, yeah. we've never really heard him appealing to a higher power like this ever in the books before, have we? We haven't. And it's really good because it does show that he's hitting rock bottom. I mean, it's what people do when they hit rock bottom. They start making bargains, whether you believe it helps or not. Yeah. And it's exactly what makes the scene so powerful. It is. Yeah. I was really interested in the in the phrase God he wasn't at all sure he believed in. Just because I like the little hint into Strike's beliefs or lack thereof. And I've seen some speculation that investigating a cult might raise the topic of religion or spirituality in the next book, sort of like a conversation topic between these two, you know, the way they do. So this could be a little foreshadowing, maybe? Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because I mm. had the same thought rereading this passage after seeing the synopsis. I don't think that religion plays a huge role in either Stryker Robin's lives or in the novels as a whole. Yeah. So if they do talk about it, I could see it being something similar to that conversation they had about astrology in Hampton Court. Yeah, exactly. It is one of those things that I personally feel like is a good thing to talk about with the person that you're going to build a life with, you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe J.K. Rowling is kind of getting the are we compatible talks out of the way before they get together. Ooh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And there could be some potential for some top tier dialogue between the two of them as well. I'm just thinking yeah. about, you know, in Troubled Blood chapter 58, they're talking about whether or not they want kids and Robin's all, you know, I give this soul searching answer and you're just like, no. Yeah, exactly. That's that exactly really awesome. what I was thinking of too. I love that part so much. It's so good. I find this next paragraph really interesting where Strike is worried that he's about to fall in public and he knew what the response would be to him. It says it didn't automatically engender trust in the breasts of the public. They were assumed to be drunk or dangerous and even past Passing taxi drivers tended to turn a blind eye to large men gesturing frantically from the gutter. It kind of makes me sad, but the mention of the word dangerous stands out to me because, yeah, as a woman, you have to think about these things because there are men like, you know, Ted Bundy who pretend to be injured. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, I feel really bad for Strike, but there is no way that I would go over. I just like it because it's a good observation by Strike. It goes along with what you were saying in our last episode of him being aware of how he can be intimidating. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, he's very self-aware, yeah. Self-aware, like you say, Ken's, and also society-aware because he knows about Ted Bundy and shit. Yeah, of course he does. If it happened, he'd have to call someone he knows to come help, you know, yeah. and wait for them sitting on the street. And he's had it happen before, we know. Yeah, with Lorelai. And once he gets to Tottenham Court Station, he gets a text from Robin asking him to call. And we get this amazing line. He couldn't have explained why, but it seemed to him that he might be able to walk more comfortably if he were talking to Robin at the same time. <laughs> Just, uh. <laughs> this is the cutest shit I've ever read. Strike, sir. You are in love. God damn it. And now I've got that Taylor Swift song stuck in my head. Thanks for that. Yeah. Welcome to my last five years. It has been <laughs> stuck in my head intermittently for so goddamn long. I made a bracelet with that lyric, you're my best friend on it from that song. It's so them, right? So them. And it's also really cute because it does really help. When she tells him that she's identified paper white, it says, and for a few steps, the pain in his leg did indeed seem to lessen. It's a miracle. That's pretty good anesthetic, love. It's a miracle of love. Mm -hmm. I love how through all the pain, he musters the effort and the enthusiasm to tell Robin how brilliant she is. He could have let it slip because he's in so much pain, but he didn't. He told her. I just love any moments like these where just hearing the other person's voice just makes them feel slightly better, slightly less awful. So good. So many. Those moments are so good. And it happens so often. I know. They're so sweet. So then Robin tells him that she's 
just had this threatening phone call where someone said they're going to kill her. And of course, they get into an argument because Strike wants her to go back to the hotel and Robin doesn't want to. I don't really get Robin's resistance. I would also think the best thing to do is to clear out. And she's just spent the whole day being worried and anxious about being there. I don't think Strike is being unreasonable here. No, me neither. I think that that sounds completely reasonable. If I were in her position, that would be my first response. Get the hell out of there. I don't know. My first thought was that I fully agree with her point that if someone is waiting outside her flat for her, the last thing she'd want to do is leave it. My thought runs like this. So if this was the happening, it seems like the purpose of the threat, which isn't their usual MO, would be to get her to panic and to leave so they can get to her outside. So I would feel way more secure in my second floor locked apartment with an alarm. I would just get my cell phone, get my knife, ready to call 911, sit facing the door. But how would you sleep like that? Uh, Who needs sleep? when you have coffee. I don't know. And I, I wouldn't really want to request a mail cabbie to come up to my door to meet me either because then he now knows where my door is. What if he comes back? Well, I don't disagree with her point about someone being outside potentially at all. Mm. I just don't think that staying there is a good alternative because I certainly wouldn't feel safe being there, especially alone. Mm. For me, it would feel like a ticking time bomb. If there is someone outside, what is going to stop that person from deciding to break in if they know that's where you are? If somebody really wants to kill her, I don't don't think that one flight of steps is really gonna stop them that much. I could not stay there like that. Mm. But of course, like you said, you can't just leave because of that potential. So I think the plan for calling for a male driver is what I would do. Because if there is someone waiting, they're less likely to harm you. If there's a man with you, mm. they could have called a man they knew for help. But I don't think Robin would like that idea. They could have called Nick. He has a car. Yeah. Why don't they call Nick more often? Because neither of them want to ask for help from Ridiculous. people that they know. You okay. know. Fair enough. Plus, another factor for me is, is the fact that the call was put through from the office, which doesn't suggest any special knowledge about her location on the part of the caller. It feels like it could have easily gone through to Strike's phone instead. And since he actually lives above the office, seems like he would be the one more in danger. Neither of them are in actual danger at the moment, you know, know. but a phone number, (laughs) a phone number and someone's locations are very different things because Mm. someone could follow someone home and know where you live, but have no idea what your phone number is. I suppose that's true. I just also have a feeling that Gus wanted to tell Robin that he was going to kill her. I don't know what he would have done if he had gotten strike on the phone. I kind of wonder if he would have just hung up. I'm also really wondering how the office phone system works right now. I am too now. Do they like alternate nights? I used to do this Mm -hmm. when I worked for the PI. When I left for the day, I would forward the phones to his cell phone. How do you do two numbers? Maybe they alternate nights on call. That would make sense. And then Pat sets it up when she leaves. Yeah, I'm very curious because that factors in as well to my ruling on this. Well, how would Gus know their schedule anyway? Exactly. So it's just random basically. Well, yeah, but that's my point is what would have happened if he got strike? I tend to think that he was more interested in telling Robin that he wanted to kill her than strike. I tend to agree that I think that if he had gotten strike, he might have just hung up. We know that Gus wants to kill them both, but I think that he has it out for her in particular. Just based off of his incredibly deep running hatred of women, I think that it really ticks him off that there is a woman on his tail and that she's going to get him caught. Yeah, that's how I see it too. In the chats he refers to them collectively as those detectives the chat coming up with worm i mean he says i already threatened that bitch but that's because he knows he got through to robin his kill ratio has been weighted towards men so far i don't know i just feel like strike might be more intimidating to him than robin would be Mm. 
I do wonder if her attitude as far as not wanting to leave and stuff, is this more of her having a bit of a chip on her shoulder about not wanting to appear weak or not brave enough in front of Strike? Because I feel like this is something she could stand to work on. It, it kind of rubs me the wrong way whenever it comes up. I do think she has a tendency to do this with any sign of potential danger because she does not want to be stuck like she was after the rape and having to prove herself to everyone in her life. Mm. I totally get why she does this. It makes so much sense to me, but I would like to see some growth here because I don't think she has anything to prove to strike. And I want her to see that and not resist so much every time there's danger because mm -hmm. he does not think that she's weak or not capable. Let's hope we can see some progress on that front and running grave. I'm doubting it. <laughs> She is going to be in the thick of it. I feel like she's going to come up against her limits in that book for sure. We got a prediction about that oh, that I'm excited wait. to read next time. It's going to mm -hmm. be fun. I understand when she says to him, she doesn't need him shouting. And I love that he immediately recognized his tendency to shout orders in the face of anxiety and he apologizes. Yeah, that is really sweet. That instinct comes from the military. They trained that into him. I also understand that just from an anxiety standpoint, because oh, yeah. if I'm feeling really anxious about something, anger or frustration is easily come by for me. Yeah, okay. it's close at hand. Yeah, I totally relate to him doing that. I tend to just start crying. I take the meltdown route. For me, I get the, why aren't you recognizing this danger like I am? Why aren't you acting mm -hmm. in a way that I would? So 100% I relate to Strike on this. Mm -hmm. I mean, are we shocked that you relate to Strike on something? <laughs> well, I'm just, you know. <laughs> no, I'm not. Got another therapy edition. Yeah. Seriously. But my biggest takeaway here is that we can clearly see that Strike is probably at his lowest leg wise that we've seen. Maybe in Lethal White, it's also this bad, but he is about to do whatever he can to get to her if she wouldn't leave. And I just, it's so sweet. Yeah, that's getting me in my emotions, mm -hmm. dragging himself to her. Oh my God. Yeah, literally. Oh, I love that. I'm just going to make a swan dive into the emotions closet. Oh, did you install a pool in yours? Yes. Yes. I did. I also really like that Robin accuses him of trying to guilt her before <laughs> she even realizes that his leg is really bad because he doesn't say anything about it. She can just tell and she doesn't want him hurting himself. So she agrees. Mm. It's just really sweet because they're both willing to make a sacrifice, something they don't want to do or shouldn't do for the other one here. I feel like Strike has just unlocked the cheat code for dealing with the I'm perfectly safe version of Robin, which is <laughs> you just have to make it so that She's protecting or taking care of him rather mm. than herself. That's how to get her to do what you want. Pretend it's for you. That comes dangerously close to Kia level manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> you guess. know, if it works, it works. If it <laughs> works, it works. Yeah. Which though is why I love that he's trying to hide it from her because yeah. that's not part of his argument at all. Yeah, that's true. And as much as I didn't understand Robin's resistance, I kind of wish that she hadn't given in just so Strike had to go to her after... Madeline's oh my assault. God, right? Then she would have known about the breakup, maybe. You know, <sighs> come on, Robin. Why do you have to do the thing I think you should have done in the first place? Honestly, the most logical course of action for these two here. I feel like whatever you're about to say is not the most logical it course. It is. <laughs> okay. Strike needs to stop walking, flag a taxi from where he's standing, and just go straight to Robin's. He can take the elevator up to her flat. No stairs. They both can feel secure that she's safe with him there. She can make him cups of tea. I mean, we all know what goes with cups of tea when Strike is incapacitated, right? Okay. We read that book. A couple times. A couple mm -hmm. times. Yeah. He doesn't even need to pick up his bag. He can just sleep naked. Robin won't mind that. I'm sure she's got an extra toothbrush. They can hang out hmm. there 
for as long as they want. Wow. I'm just saying that I read it and it seems logical. I feel like you can read that on AO3 or something. That feels <laughs> like the right place for well, that Well, you can if I write it. <laughs> so that's an intriguing idea. Yeah, Adele really said it best. We could have had it all. We could have had it all. Back to lo- like reality and logic, though. I- <laughs> I'm full of logic. I just told you it was logic. No more walking. I genuinely don't know how we would have gotten to her after all of that. And as much as I like the joking here, he does need things. You know, he needs clean clothes for the next day. He needs a toothbrush. He needs the cream he uses for his leg. Okay. The cream. But it's not, let's be realistic. It's not where they're at, right? That's not like genuinely what is happening in this book. Well, we could have solved all of that. Get Pat to stop by, get him a bag the next day. Easy peasy. Solved it. Nailed it. I don't think not stopping by his place for us is an actual option okay. in this book where Fair they're enough. at in their relationship. Fair enough. If we're not in fanfic land. Okay. 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 I'll, I'll let you have it. And I'll just go write my version. Okay. And we shall see. See what? Well, we shall simply see. <laughs> what? I don't know what. We will see. <laughs> There's nothing to see. It's the facts of the book. Uh, oh, but, or here's another option. I feel like this is going to be equally as good. Because remember, she's calling him once he's in the taxi or whatever. He picks up the phone once he's collapsed on the doorstep, just tells her he needs her help. She diverts the taxi, goes to stay with him to help him, helps him up the stairs, runs and gets his crutches. Yes, there's only one bed. I don't think that's an actual thing they'd consider where they're at in their relationship. I also don't think that Strike wants her to see him like that. No. Because we know that he is really worried about her being disgusted by him. He's very worried about how she views his age and limitations and disability. I think we see his insecurities. I do not think that he'd want her to see him on the floor like that. He wouldn't, but she wouldn't care. No, I know, but he doesn't know that right now. It's obvious that he's pretty insecure no okay i'll stop with this nonsense now thank you well i suppose we are destined to have them not be together at the end of this chapter well that is how the chapter works well yeah i know i don't like it and then of course the chapter ends with strike saying madeline walking towards him I feel like there's some sort of contrast between Robin on the phone lifting him up and the two of them trying to make sacrifices for each other and then her. But maybe that's a reach. I don't know. Oh, I don't think it's a huge reach. Given the fact that Madeline is her doppelganger, only authentic Robin helps with his pain. Off-brand Robin just makes the pain worse. Okay, let's go to chapter 94. Let's do it. So in this chapter, you know, we mentioned last chapter about how Madeline accosted him in the street. This is where the actual assault happens. So that's fun. Why am I picturing like Street Fighter? Well, the title of the epigraph is Mortal Combat. But anyway, yeah. So in this chapter, Madeline assaults Strike in the street. Don't they have like really high kicks in that game? So yeah, they do have high kicks. So it checks out. (laughs) It does. (laughs) She's a little ninja. So the epigraph for this chapter. And that was when I thrust you down and stabbed you twice and twice again because you dared take off your crown and be a man like other men. And that is from Mortal Kombat by Mary Elizabeth Coleridge. When I first read this, I thought, oh, no, it was the stabbing bit. That's what flagged it for me, I think. Yeah. Oh, shit. And he actually does get stabbed later. Exactly. But I do like those last two lines about taking off your crown and being a man like other men. Mm -hmm. My first instinct was to say that it wasn't really fair 
to strike because he wasn't pretending to wear some crown the way mm. she says that he was. But I don't know. Maybe you can say he was pretending even though he didn't realize he was pretending when he said he was trying. Not that that justifies anything she does here. I mean, I totally agree with all this. I think you're spot on that this epigraph is about Madeline literally attacking Strike and frame his crown as him telling himself he's trying. Or maybe the crown is really more of Madeline's sort of rose-colored glasses making him look like something that he isn't. Maybe the crown is, is her illusion, not his. The opening line of the chapter is Madeline asking Strike if he's drunk. It's a bit rich coming from her, isn't it? I'm like, bit. sit down, Madeline. You're drunk, literally. But I do like the contrast with Robin over the phone where she knows without even seeing him that his leg is bad. And here Madeline mm. is assuming it's because he's drunk. Yeah. Madeline is projecting onto strike her own issues, other people's behavior, Charlotte's lies. And Robin is is seeing what's actually there because one, mm. she's a detective, but two, she actually knows and loves the real him, not Aww. this illusion. That's got me in my feelings a bit. Yeah. The next paragraph is strike observing that she looks like she's been to some party or event. It says somewhere at least at which people were seen and photographed and reassured that they were important. I think this is just reinforcing the incompatibility and Strike is seeing it immediately. And now that he's seen it, he can't unsee it. Oh, that reminds me of something else that he sees at the end. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I feel bad for Strike because he's in so much pain. He's scared and anxious about Robin. And now there's this. And when he says, let's hear it then, you know he must be thinking, okay, let's get the character assassination out of the way so I can go rest my leg. Yeah, and he's not exactly in much of a position to get away from her at this point. So you might as well yeah. just go ahead and get it over with. There's something about being literally kicked while he's down. I don't think he's necessarily hurt by Madeline's words because he knows that it's coming from lies charlotte's told her but it still has to hurt mm -hmm. yeah i think it must even though he knows full well like you said that most of her accusations are nonsense there is a small grain of truth in terms of him using her that he's acknowledged to himself before yeah and also I, no one likes being told that they're an asshole it's not yeah. a pleasant experience to go through. I know that he brings some of this on himself, obviously, but I feel bad for him sometimes that it seems like he's always being told how awful he is or that he's not enough or doing enough, you know, by Lucy or whoever else. Mm. I just want to tell him, you know, there is someone right in front of you who you mean everything to and who does think you're enough and a good man. Ooh, I'm getting real frustrated with them. <laughs> Can you two please just get stop it together. being so silly? Get your shit together. Come on. Imagine guys. how Ilsa feels. It just Ilsa uh, must this must drive Ilsa to drink. And she can't because she's pregnant. Poor Ilsa. Really feel for her. Yeah, me too. This would be so annoying <laughs> to have your friends be so fucking dumb. Oh my mm -hmm. god. <laughs> I have to go back to my Lorelai parallels because Madeline says that she was going to write him a letter, which we know that Lorelai did, mm -hmm. but she decided to show up and say it face to face. That was a great, smart decision. I think it supports the idea that Madeline's purpose in the book is showing those repeat patterns of behavior, but the mm -hmm. situation is just dialed up. Mm -hmm. The universe was trying to tell Strike something. But it just didn't lodge in his head. So the universe had to try again, except just turned it all up to 11. Like, will you understand this time strike? He's like, nope, I refuse. I believe that there's a term for that, and it's called willful dumbassery. Mm, it's a good term. <laughs> Sorry. It's a good term. You want to talk about comparisons with Yasmin? Yeah, it makes sense because if you keep doing the same things, you're going to get the same results. But for him, it's just gotten worse because... Yeah. 
because mm-hmm. he just wasn't understanding the first yeah. time. And obviously, it's not like he's completely innocent. You know, mm-hmm. for the sake of fairness, we can list his crimes. Feel free mm-hmm. to add if you have any. <laughs> Being too sexy, <laughs> distracting us when Arrested. we're trying to do stuff. <laughs> okay, so really being emotionally un- unavailable because he's in love with another woman. Check. Dating Madeline to try and not have feelings for that woman. Double check. And lying about staying at that woman's house. That, I think, sums it up. I think so. And it's so weird. It's almost like all of his issues with relationships could be pretty much solved if he'd just date the woman he's actually obviously in love with. That is weird. That's crazy talk. Who Mm. does that? I do think there's probably some other things he needs to work on. Yeah, but the major things are just he's not in love with them he's in love with someone else he needs to get over the fear of that yes but madeline isn't reacting to any of his actual crimes that becomes clear very quickly that she's just talking about charlotte which is so weird for us as the readers we're like what do you want about madeline charlotte must have told her everything but the untrue version of events i'm guessing that charlotte was at whatever event that she's just Mm -hmm. left as a guest yeah but it seems totally probable to me that charlotte shitstirring could have pushed madeline from scathing letter to drunken confrontation within the space of one evening and it makes me wonder what version of events charlotte did tell madeline was it just like a slightly massaged version of the truth or did she flat out create an entire fantasy scenario where she and strike are sleeping together again what where was the level of crazy delusion on this lie scale i wonder if jk rowling knows what she thinks happened i'm sure she does right oh, it's I would her love to know i would love to know what charlotte told her what if charlotte told her that after the jago confrontation they left jago's place together because technically They kind of did. She probably just left out the bit where he left her standing in the street. Seems like that would be a pretty crucial bit to the point of the story, Charlotte. Not for Charlotte. Not for her. But I'm just realizing that that is another lethal white parallel because he leaves her standing there too after she asks to share a cab after the Paralympic event. Yes. Yeah, I really like that. I think that sounds really plausible. I'm sorry if I'm annoying anyone with these lethal white parallels, but they just keep coming up. Oh, I'm loving them. Anyway, back to the chapter. Madeline keeps saying that Strike used her. This kind of makes me think of that other line where he thinks that people use each other all the time. On the scale of using people, trying to get over someone isn't as bad to me as the kind of using that Madeline is actually accusing him of. Mm -hmm. Which I think she's saying that he used her to get closer to Charlotte and back in that circle. And it is so incredibly ridiculous because literally all of Strike's actions in this relationship have been to avoid any possible interaction with that circle. It's weird when you talk about using someone to get over somebody else and whether or not that's wrong. Talking about that is interesting because mm-hmm. if Robin were to do that, I feel like it would be, you know, get back out there, yeah. date some other people. Try to get over it. Try to get it's over it. It's a thing people do. Like, is that necessarily yeah. wrong? Was it wrong of him? Maybe it only feels wrong because we're readers and we're in his head and we know because we've read books before that getting out there isn't going to work for him because he's the protagonist of this love story. Right. But in the real world... But in the real world, yeah, it's what people are supposed to do, right? I'm just thinking about whenever Ginny started dating around in Harry Potter. Yeah, that was great. Same sort of deal, yeah. And bonus effect of waking up the monster inside of Harry's chest, which we all love. We love a good chest monster. Yeah. (laughs) I love that part in the movie of, I think it's Half-Blood Prince, where they see her kissing, is it Dean or whatever? I just love Ron. 
I love Ron's line when he goes, I'd like to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it just strikes me as so funny. That's such a great line. Next is Madeline's first physical attack where she punches him in the chest. Bit rude. Bit rude, yeah. This is a wild what if, but what do you think Robin would have done if she had seen this? Listen, there is no way that Robin wouldn't have stepped in because I think that Robin would be able to get physical with Madeline, not like attacking her, but stepping in and fending her off, restraining her in a way that Strike can't because he's so conscious of his own strength and he's not willing to use it against a woman. It feels like it's more of an even playing field for Robin to get in there and lay hands, not in like a violent catfight way, but playing defense because she knows Strike, you can't. Yeah, I hope that she would get in there and defend, you know, her man. Goddamn right. Yeah. (laughs) She did laugh when Strike mentions, you know, later that Madeline had kicked him. But I think that it would be an entirely different thing if she saw it happening in front of her. The way that he tells it at the end, I think he was intending to make her laugh. You know, he didn't really emphasize the seriousness of what happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He likes making her laugh. You know, I love that. There's also this moment here where he feels a sense of deja vu because Madeline grabs onto his arm and won't let go, just like Charlotte. It says, left hand still clutching his sleeve. She pummeled his back with her right until he twisted around and seized that too. Once again, he saw the rictus grin she displayed on the night of her launch in Bond Street. Just a little creepy. It is a little bit sinister, right? Yeah. I'm just picturing Tim Curry in Home Alone 2 (laughs) when he smiles like the Grinch. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I'm picturing Madeline right now. I think that before this moment, the reader could plausibly think that Madeline's upset about Robin. Nothing she said contradicts that. But this bit of deja vu cues us in 100% to what she's really angry about because it's a physical visual sign that Charlotte's poison has worked its way into the scene. Mm -hmm. She's the puppeteer pulling on Madeline's strings. Yeah, and I think it's a clear intentional connection to Madeline Mm -hmm. and Charlotte that they're very Mm -hmm. similar. Yes, definitely. Strike's response makes me laugh when Madeline mentions Charlotte again and says, you think she wants you? And he says, she does. Yeah. Yeah, that's the bit. She's fucking gagging for me, but I don't want either of you. I'm like, oh my God, that is absolutely ruthless, Uh but I love it. It makes me want to sip my tea and be like, I love it too. I mean, he's not wrong. No. Brutal, but entirely accurate. 100% accurate. accurate. Pools, I feel like you probably really like the rest of that line where he talks about her trying to find some dignity. Oh my God. Yes. Big time. Like Madeline, I'm begging you. You got to stop subjecting me to this cringe because it is cringe. I'm reading this through my fingers. It's making me cringe so hard. This is too much. It's also really strange to me when Madeline threw Henry into the argument as if Strike had formed this deep connection with him and is now (laughs) abandoning him. Had like two conversations. Uh, Yeah. It's like she's just throwing spaghetti at the wall at this point for something that'll stick. Mm -hmm. And then to just really drive home the cringe, Madeline threatens to talk about him in an interview she has coming up and then kicks him and stabs him in the thigh with her stiletto first of all impressive that she's walking drunk in stilettos yeah i'll give her that i'm still trying to figure out how the hell she managed to kick his thigh from the position they were in because they're standing close together she twists out of his grip how the hell does she get her heel all the way up there if she twisted around, she could have kicked backwards and that would have been much easier to oh, kick him high up. Okay, yeah, maybe. Like a horse? Yeah, it's much easier to do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And she does it in a tiny dress too. I'm like, is yeah. Madeline a secret ninja? 
No, she's just drunk. She doesn't care. It might be awful of me, but I would really love to read whatever disaster of an interview she'd give to the male if oh, she actually so went through with it. I know she's not going to, but if she right. did, she would not come out of that looking good. The description of this stiletto stabbing and his fall and the pain it causes him is written so well because the way she describes him feeling like he's about to vomit from pain is very understandable to me because sometimes I get migraines, so I I get it. That is relatable. Mm -hmm. I've been there too. And then we get Madeline crying and trying to apologize. I mean, at least now that she's assaulted him, she'll probably feel way too guilty to smear him in the press. So that's yeah. a win for strength, I, I guess. But I'm actually, I'm glad that she's going to walk away from this feeling like the asshole instead yeah. of feeling like the victim. She's now the asshole, 100%. And I want her to feel really terrible about it and to stew in it for a long time because he won't let her apologize to him because yeah. he's blocked her. That's justice. That's karma. It must feel even worse after the ending. Oh, yeah. I really wish I did know what she wrote in that. Yeah, I want to know too. I want to know. We got to ask Lucy because you know she knows. I'm just sad we'll never get to find out. I guess it doesn't matter. I'm sure she's just saying like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Please forgive how awful I am. (laughs) He's like, eat into the trash. So then we get Strike crawling on all fours, but still stopping to pick up his cigarette. And I don't know if this is the funniest thing or the most ridiculous thing. I have so many emotions about this bit. I feel like it's both sad and ridiculous. Like, you know, you've hit rock bottom one. Yeah, I was feeling super sad for him here because the combo of the physical pain and the humiliation that Mm -hmm. he must be suffering right now, this moment, this is rock bottom for sure. The only reason I say it might be funny is because I just immediately think of myself if I drop food on the floor. Because I'm like, this is still good, right? I can have this, right? This is fine. Five second rule. Exactly. Yeah. And that cigarette is like the one positive thing he has going on in that moment. Mm. Oh, poor guy. So the last few paragraphs are really amazing where he's just sitting on the floor outside of the building and it says, he experienced one of those moments of simultaneous confusion and clarity that belong to the drunk and the desperate in which Yasmin Weatherhead's flat face blended with the twisted grin of Madeline. And he thought about the dossier of convincing lies that had led to murder and paralysis and the unwritten letter of accusations he could have burned without reading. So this is the letter, right? The letter that Madeline was going to write and he's connecting this with the letters in the coffin. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking that those little hints that you noticed in his conversation with Grant Ledwell, there was yeah. about to float into his brain and he's about to realize, oh shit, there's something fucky going on with these letters. Absolutely amazing that he can be in this position that he's in. With a brain on this man. He's mm-hmm. got the brain. I love the comparison he makes between Yasmin and Madeline here because they were both manipulated and used to cause pain. Yasmin by the happening and Madeline by Charlotte. And it's not really a good sign when your tactics are the same ones that a group of alt-right neo-Nazis are using. Charlotte, just if you want to jot that down. She's like Strike's own personal terrorist. I really hope that she's not done yet because I do want to see her being their personal terrorist and Strike just getting more and more angry and wanting nothing to do with her. Yeah, I don't think we're done because Robin needs to know how he feels about her. And I I really do think we're going to get those thoughts from him about her not really holding any kind of appeal whatsoever. She might try doing to Robin what she did to Madeline, but... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not it won't work, work this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then on the step of his office, while half of him was wondering whether he'd have to sleep where he was sitting, something floated up through his subconscious into his conscious mind. Every woman who'd hoped to make a life with him had complained about this. 
the way something hard and impenetrable in his brain had lived forever in a problem-solving realm, no matter what was going on around him. In fact, only one woman had never moaned about it. I love that at this thought, Robin calls. So perfect. Yeah, this is another one of those strike almost realizes he's in love moments that is so fucking frustrating. Like the woman who will accept this part of you exactly as it is, is right in front of you. I also really like the implication that it's a personal relationship because why would this bother her as a work partner? Someone who's just a work partner wouldn't mind that at all, Mm -hmm. but it's their Mm -hmm. personal relationship that he's talking about, right? She is in his eyes. There's this other element to their relationship. And of course she never complains about it because she's the exact same way, Strike. I know. For God's sake. Let's go to chapter 95. Yes. In chapter 95, Anime intimidates Worm 28. Okay. And the epigraph. But this place is gray and much too quiet. No one here. Why this is awful. This is fear. Nothing to see. No face. Nothing to hear except your heart beating in space as if the world was ended. And that's Madeline in Church by Charlotte Mew. I think this epigraph is really just speaking to the state of Drex game now that everyone is leaving, or at least the mods who know something is up, because no one is there, and that's because of fear, the fear of anime. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the world of Drex game is about to come to an end. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't mm-hmm. already ended, but it's on its way there. I feel sad for the fans who really enjoy it, you know, yeah. who are just there to have fun with yeah. other fans. It's too bad. All of a sudden, I'm thinking of the fear of anime and like what that means in the different ways we can interpret it. You know, the fear of anime himself mm. and the fear of the concept. Mm-hmm. The fear of being disconnected, which will yeah. happen when the game shuts down. This chapter is really short because it's just a quick conversation where anime shows Worm pictures of Strike and Robin and asks if she's ever seen them. So it definitely seems like Hartella just went in and told him everything that happened, right? Because my God. Yeah, she did. She is such a dumbass. There's no other word for it. Oh my God, this woman is so stupid. As if my respect for Hartel's intelligence couldn't drop any lower. I was wrong. It could. (laughs) I'm just, where is her sense of self-preservation? Where is her brain? Yeah, you really got to wonder. I do wonder how someone could be that monumentally stupid. Yeah, she's a dummy. Do we know if Worm is lying when Anime asks her if she recognizes Robin? Because she says no, but I feel like she does, right? Yeah, I think she absolutely does. Thankfully, she's at least smart enough to lie. But she starts calling the office the next day, doesn't she? Oh, right. And hanging up. So yeah, I think she absolutely recognized her. I think the best part of this chapter is when Worm says, we're down to four mods and Anime says, three, can't you count? Because he made a mistake there. Worm is counting herself, Anime, Paperwhite, and Borkeldrek. That's four. But in Anime's mind, he knows Paperwhite isn't real. So he's only counting three. Yeah, he's slipping up. Yeah, he is. I feel like I should have caught this. Yeah. He's clearly furious and heated about this whole Hartella thing, which explains why he's slipping up like this. Yeah. But he definitely doesn't want Worm to be suspicious of Paperwhite yet because he needs her, Paperwhite, to try and trip up traitors, right? So he's got to keep her going for a bit longer. And I was also definitely nervous about the threats he was making to both Strike and Robin here. Me too. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah, he's really gone off the deep end and it's extra scary now. And his threats to Worm are scary as hell too. Mm -hmm. What I love is that we know they don't work. He has clearly underestimated both Zoe's intelligence 
and her sense of right and wrong. Yeah. And she's just so much smarter and braver than some of the other characters in this book um, with what she does in the next few chapters after this conversation. Well, that was it. It's a really short chapter. Yeah, that's a short <laughs> chapter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Onwards. Yeah. Okay, 96. All right. In this chapter, Strike visits the hospital for his leg. The epigraph for this chapter reads, Work man, work woman, since there's work to do in this beleaguered earth for head and heart. And that's from Aurora Lee, again, by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I think this is just talking about continuing to work, even though they're both kind of trapped and stuck in different ways that they don't want Mm -hmm. to be. They're still pushing ahead with their vocation. It's interesting because in this long passage in the poem itself, Romney is telling Aurora that the men are the head and the women are the heart and that both of their work is complete and whole, but it's separate spheres. So they work together to make the world or life. But my point with that is that I like how in this chapter, both Robin and are doing head work. They're stuck, but they're working in that intellectual realm, the realm of the public life of um, investigation. But they both have heart work to do inside themselves, kind of like working on their emotional realms, if that makes any sense at all. So Strike calls Ryan Murphy and this line makes me laugh. It says, the CID man took as seriously as Strike could have wished the news that Robin had received a death threat by telephone the previous evening. And I was like, yeah, of course he's taking it seriously. Yeah, that was my exact reaction. I was like, I bet he did. (laughs) I sip my tea. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we also learned here that Murphy's about to interview Yasmin, lucky him, and he jokes (laughs) that they should keep Strike on retainer since he finds out that Strike is the one who sent her to him. Yeah. And you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. Why can't the Met pay them occasionally to help with investigations? I wonder if they can. I too am wondering if that's a thing that can be done legally. Like, Mm -hmm. can the Met hire consultants? Obviously, they hire consultants in other fields, mm-hmm. right? But I wonder if they do that with other detectives like this. Yeah. They did that in Lucifer. <laughs> so maybe yeah, can... in Lucifer, in Castle, there's a lot of shows where the police apparently are so incompetent that they have to hire writers slash Satan to solve their crimes for them. Well, I just mean, like, I understand hiring consultants in a different field, mm-hmm. like something scientific, but would there be liability just to hire other detectives when you're already a detective. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's interesting. I wonder if it's something that's going to come up later again, if it's one of those things that's being planted. I'm not sure that it'll happen with Murphy after this book, though. Next, we have this phone call with Midge. And I said a few episodes back that Midge's encounter with Jago endeared me to her. I think the magic is kind of fading because this phone call between her and Strike takes me back to feeling annoyed with her because all he's asking her to do is pick one of the three suspects to watch and she is really pushing back hard and arguing i just find it kind of exhausting yeah she's definitely being a bit of a pain in the ass about it here not that i I don't understand like being frustrated about having to do the work again but like come on midge like yeah of course the the choice that she made of who to follow was the right one even if it was made because she didn't want to drive exactly (laughs) i wonder if that's some sort of clue right Mm. that neither of them are thinking at all that this matters but she does pick the right person yeah which should have actually probably been a clue like oh they're not paying attention to guess guess who the murderer is 
As a side note, I really like that once again, Strike is taking all this action while he's unable to walk because I think it really helps him feel like he's doing something. And I mean, he is doing something, but it helps. He's a man of action. So like the fact Mm. that he can do anything to help right now while he can't walk must be a great comfort to him. And then he calls Robin, which he knew was going to be his most difficult call because he had emailed her and told her that he wants her to stay put. I remember being nervous because at this point I was starting to feel kind of sad that they just kept butting heads like this. I kind of like them butting heads. It's just like so much of the same argument. I just, and I don't get the argument. So it's just, it's starting to feel exhausting. Maybe so. And I'm just, I'm so bad because I immediately, I'm thinking, Robin, you hardly sleep or rest. Take the three days, (laughs) read a book, watch TV, sleep in. Take him up on this. Right. You can do it. (laughs) You can do it. She is so like him. Just such a workaholic. Come on, lady. Put your feet up. Pull up the BBC iPlayer. Put on a cop show. Put on like Happy Valley or, you know, (laughs) Line of Duty or something. I don't know. I don't know either of those shows, but sure. No, I don't either. (laughs) They're both great. Highly recommended. My girl really needs to work on her work-life balance because it's a little bit off. Maybe we'll see her explore that a little in the running grave before she goes undercover because you kind of have to make the time if you're dating someone. We see Strike do that. Mm -hmm. That's true. He's doing a better job than she is in the last couple years. Honestly. (laughs) Strike tells her that he can't stay hidden because he has to go to the hospital. And I just think it's really sweet that she wants to go with him. Kind of wish he would let her in. I guess I can wait till they're actually dating because then she'll be his girlfriend and he'll have to let her help him. Well, I think he will once that whole he's worried about how she sees him thing is Mm -hmm. resolved. Yeah. Because he didn't seem to mind Lorelai seeing him. He seemed fine. Like that because. I think he still has confidence in himself then. But with Robin, I feel like we can see his confidence faltering. Yes, in this book. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. But I do wish that he would let her help him. She could have been there when he had to take his shirt off and sit in his boxers. That's the real bummer of the chapter. Honestly. One day, though. (laughs) One day. I'm going back to wanting strike thirst from Robin. And this is so specific and ridiculous. But I really want her to think about his chest hair. That's very specific. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because... Because she's got a couple looks, right? In Cuckoo's yeah. Calling and Career mm-hmm. of Evil, right? When he was shaving. Is that true? Yeah. Like it was unbuttoned? Mm-hmm. I think so. Is that right? Or is it just my imagination? I feel like that was <laughs> No, that was, that was a thing. Anyway, I just want her thoughts to be different now. I feel like it's not totally too far off, mm-hmm. you know? No, no. I don't think that you're going to find any of us disagreeing with you <laughs> that Robin needs to have more thoughts that we read about how sexy she finds Strike. We're on board with this. Especially now that that's canon. Yes. That's a thing. I know. Which I'm still wrapping my head around. I don't know. (laughs) It makes me really scared for Running Grave because I barely recovered from the revelations from this. (laughs) (laughs) I know that she wouldn't have gone back with him while he was being examined, but I can dream. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I also love so much that even though Robin's mad at him right now, she pauses and then asks him to call her and tell her how he is. I just wonder if that registers with him somewhere in his heart. I bet it totally does. I feel like it's a good example of a healthy way of disagreeing and arguing, which I don't know that he's ever experienced in a relationship before, but disagreeing 
with someone you love, being pissed off at them, but still caring about them and and for them, right? Not letting an argument escalate into a whole goddamn scene with screaming and crying and throwing and kicking, just disagreeing, but also please let me know you're okay. At first, I was really happy that Shrek was going to the hospital. And then it says that he's planning on not telling the doctors everything and he just wants pain pills. And I was just like, ah. Yeah. I'm so glad he makes the resolutions that he does at the end of the book, or I might have gone crazy. Oh my God, for <laughs> real. Like, strike, come the hell on, dude. I'm gonna I whack know. him with a wet newspaper. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Get it together. So, strike sees Annamie's tweets about traitors. And I think we get confirmation here that Yasmin went in the game and told him everything. Annamie keeps tweeting. And again, this is really just another example of how he keeps replying to himself with different accounts and saying yeah. really horrible things. Yeah. If he hadn't done this so much, it probably would have been a lot harder for them to put it all together. Especially when he starts defending himself from his Lapine's Disciple account. I've just realized, and I know I'm late to the party with this, that these sock puppets really serve a psychological purpose for him. As a means of trying to sleep with women, yes, but also as a means of venting his hatred at them. He couldn't say such disgusting things to women as enemy. He needs these other accounts to let out his real feelings about women, like the horrible stuff Lapine's Disciple says in this bit. And it seems like it's that is an actual need for him, the amount he does it. He needs to go on and spew this vile shit at women. I know I'm probably stating the obvious here, but these accounts are very, very valuable in, in putting together the actual psychological profile of the killer. So I guess all of Robin's Twitter work is very important after all. It mm-hmm. is. Everything that they do while mm-hmm. they can't do other things turns out to be really super, vital. Super mm-hmm. vital. Yeah. Ends up not even mattering that we didn't ever get to really interview Gus in this book because we see so much of him <sighs> in all of the things we see through the Twitter threads and all that other mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So the doctor examines his leg, which starts twitching again. And here's where his face starts twitching. And I was so nervous about this. Oh my God, mm-hmm. me too. I was really nervous that he couldn't feel it twitching. Because mm. that seemed really scary to me. You can't feel your own face twitching? What the fuck is going on here? Yeah, I was worried that it was going to be something way more serious than stress. But thankfully, mm-hmm. it wasn't. Yeah, thankfully. But I'm just happy that the doctor wanted to do more than just mm-hmm. listen to this big dummy and give him painkillers, you know? <laughs> Ultrasound, blood work. I was pleased. Yeah, I was too. I was very impressed too that she noticed and was suspicious about that stiletto mark on his leg. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe she mm-hmm. should have recommended a therapist while oh, he was yeah. there. Sure. <laughs> So here's where we get the now infamous unread text from Madeline. It says, Corm, I'm truly sorry. I was drunk. I just ran into Charlotte and dot, dot, dot. Then he deletes it and blocks her. Good for him. I'm betting this is exactly what we said earlier, that Charlotte lied about Shark's involvement with her divorce and implied they're getting back together. Good on strike for blocking her. And also, Charlotte is so fucking delusional. Oh, my God. Yeah, I got serious satisfaction from that immediate block. That was like, mm, yes, he yeah. is 100% finished with Diet Charlotte. And also with regular Charlotte, he's done with all of them. Unless there's like a cherry flavored Charlotte showing up in the next book. Oh, no. <laughs> it better not be, or I swear to God. God. Uh, that sounds vaguely murderous. But on another note, so we're all agreed that there was no pregnancy announcement in this text that he deletes, right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. We're all on the same page here. She was trying to justify her behavior. That's what she was doing. Oh, fully agree. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, going back to his whole medical situation here, it's interesting that he starts feeling the twitching the moment he's dealing with this text from Madeline because it's 
pretty obvious that placed right together make me hope that maybe he's realizing that all of these placeholder relationships are making his life harder and more painful. They are what is making this so yeah. difficult. They're not worth it. Strike. Figure it yeah. out. I know. If we're wrong about this, I feel like I'm never going to trust my gut again because I yeah. I feel like all the signs are there. I think we're right. I don't think we're wrong. Famous she said last her words. famous last words. <laughs> I feel like you've just done it now. Just jinxed it. Yeah. I'll knock on fake wood. Thank you. You're welcome. So when the nurse comes in to take his blood, she tells him to take his shirt off because they won't be able to roll his sleeves up enough. This is one of the rare times where we get a glimpse into what he's wearing. A shirt? Well, yeah, I would hope so. (laughs) He's not just wandering around the streets of London shirtless. Shirtless? I mean that he's wearing long sleeves. Oh, okay. I'm imagining a button up. (laughs) I'm sure that's not the only thing you're imagining. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, not just that he's wearing a shirt. I mean, <laughs> it's telling us that he's wearing a long sleeve shirt. Right. Yeah. It's more than we normally get about his clothes. That's <laughs> true. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. We don't get much. Also, I can't help but notice that it says that he really didn't want to take his shirt off, but nevertheless did as he was told. Mm. It's not quite as good as Robin telling him what to do and obeying, but it's still good. Mm. Yeah, there is a certain je ne sais quoi about Strike doing what he's told, isn't there? (laughs) Yes, there is. Yeah, I don't know what the hell kind of weird button this is pressing for me. But it super is. I love it way too much. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we need a separate closet for thirst. Yeah, a thirst closet. It reminds (laughs) me of a very inappropriate scene from The Office. I'm not going to say what it is. But if you know, you know. That is a really funny scene. (laughs) So next he gets Midge sending him a video of Nils dropping off a box to the Epcots. And we get a tiny glimpse of Gus. I like that Midge calls Nils a massive weirdo because, yeah, pretty much. That's, uh, yeah, it sounds accurate. Accurate. And I like the way we get this tiny look at Gus while we know Annamie's behaving really strangely on Twitter. Yeah. It's like a glimpse behind the curtain. I feel like maybe I should have guessed since he's just at home, he's doing nothing all day. Mm-hmm. He'd be on Twitter. I guess in fairness, you can also be on Twitter all day when you're out of the house. Yeah. Just like strike is right now. <laughs> That's true. But he's interrupted, right? Mm-hmm. Gus is having kind of uninterrupted twitter rants that's true except for nils strike is getting his ultrasound here i was worried because doctor's comments are very ominous I don't want to hear tearing. I don't want to hear very inflamed. I definitely don't want to hear grade three of anything because <laughs> that's not a good sign. There's usually three grades and the grade three is the bad one. And then again with the very tight muscles. Yeah, but I think it had to be as bad as it possibly could. Yeah, it did. This ultrasound bit for me was sending the signal. I'm like, oh shit, this is not good, Strike. I do think it's cute though that Strike and Robin are texting back and forth because both of them are stuck where they don't want to be yeah. and texting each other about the case. I liked that back and forth. I feel like we got to see them text a lot more often during this book than we have previously. Not that it matters or anything, but it's just nice. Yeah, I think you're right. Pools, here's another one for you and all of us, really. (laughs) When Robin tells him to search a hashtag about Kia and it says, Strike did as he was told. I knew there were more of these bits because (laughs) I definitely noticed them on my first read. But here it is again. It is very nice. I would like more of this in the running grave, please. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. But the hashtag was about it getting out that Kia had slept with 
Wally Cardew. And this whole description of how a Twitter storm unfolds was really well done for me because you've got like the different reactions, the battling hashtags, and then someone digging up old shit to cancel someone else entirely. And the phrase turned on Kia with the ferocity of a hungry alligator made me laugh a bit because like it's an accurate image. Yeah, it's a good it's one. It's a good one. <laughs> it would have been better if it had been something that eats birds. Do alligators eat I guess birds? alligators eat birds. Like if they can catch them. The only other thing I have to say about the Kia bit is that in a previous episode, I had wondered if Mooney Spoons was also Kia, Mm. but I don't think so since they're speaking so badly of her in this bit. Yeah, I think this has to be someone else. And we do learn Kia's actual Twitter handle, not a parrot though. And I can't see the sense in using a sock puppet to attack yourself. No, me either. So the doctor tells Strike that he needs to keep his weight off his leg for four weeks. And this guy... This sentence made me laugh and just just up at the same time because it says he'd been banking on being told to keep his leg up for a week, which he'd been planning to interpret as three days. <laughs> like strike. Come on. I'm laughing. This is such a strike thing to do. Selective listening and selective interpretation. Mm-hmm. 101. He could teach the class on doing this shit. Yeah. And I can just imagine his shocked Pikachu face when he's like, four weeks? And then there's the absolutely classic line where he's wondering if he could possibly be calcium deficient. He ate plenty of cheese, didn't he? I'm like... Doesn't count when it's on Big Mac strike. I was hollering at this line when I first read it because the last time that I was in the hospital for something serious, they mentioned a calcium deficiency and I had the exact same thought. Like, (laughs) I eat plenty of cheese. I literally have a piece of cheese right in front of me with some roast beef. I fucking love cheese. Yeah, I was frustrated with him in this chapter, but the next paragraph where he acknowledges everything he knows he's doing wrong was a good sign Mm because we've seen little comments like this in previous books, but this felt different. I knew that a change had to be coming. Yeah, you can really tell he's about to come up against a brick wall and that his usual coping mechanisms of painkillers and no more than three days off his feet just really aren't going to cut it now and something has to change. Yeah. And here's where the doctor comes back and tells him that it seems like the spasms are psychological and asks if he's been under stress lately and he says no more than usual. (laughs) This guy. This moment was where I completely lost my shit. No more than usual? Just a bomb. A bomb. Being attacked by an ex in the streets. The woman you love is being threatened. Nothing. Nothing. Totally normal. Nothing to see here. He's so in denial. You know, I mean, I hate to bring this up again, but when you say it like that, (laughs) it's just shades of Yasmin. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is a definite parallel being made there. I'm just the audacity of him to say that with a straight face. It's beyond me. I'm amazed. I would have loved if Robin could have had a front seat to hear him say that. Well, why? She's the same. I I don't need help. I'm not in danger. They're the same. Yeah, maybe. I feel like she'd condemn it in him. She'd be like, no, he's under stress. I'm not under stress. They do it to each other. All kinds of stress. Yeah. I just love them. The ending of the chapter, he tells himself that their anime investigation needs to be over. But that streak of stubborn self-reliance that more than one ex-girlfriend called arrogance instead it wasn't over yet. Barkley hadn't reported back on Paperwhite and there was a chance Strike's forthcoming visit to Grant Ledwell, if handled correctly, might at last lead them to anime. That was a great ending to the chapter because, of yeah. course, we know that this means that both of these things are going to be exciting. We're coming up quick on the end of this book. At this point, yeah. every scene is going to have me on edge for a summer reading because I know that shit's about to go down. Shit could go down at any second. Yeah, mm-hmm. we just have about 10 chapters left. Yeah, 11. Oh my god. Okay, let's go to chapter 97. All right. Strike and Robin speak with Nicole Crystal. 
the epigraph for this chapter. Was she a wicked girl? What then? She didn't care a pin. She was not worse than all those men who looked so shocked in public when they made and shared her sin. And that is The Message by Matilda Blind. This epigraph is speaking to Nicole's complete lack of shame or regret in sending nudes. She literally does not give a single fuck. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she does not care. I completely agree. There's Mm -hmm. no other way to Mm -hmm. interpret that. So in the start of this chapter, we learn that Strike got home from the hospital and immediately mixed his new strong painkillers with whiskey, which (laughs) seems like a a smart and reasonable thing to do to improve one's health. Right. Just a little note on how the resolutions of last chapter went. I feel like he's still in denial that he really needs to get his shit together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Barkley calls to say that he's with Nicole or Paperwhite, as they think, and she'd like to FaceTime with them. Robin is so funny because she jumps up to get dressed so that she can hop on the call. It says, Robin hurried to pull on a t-shirt and brush her hair, lest Strike imagine she'd been sleeping all morning. (laughs) I understand not wanting to have a work call with a witness in pajamas, but I really don't think she needs to worry about Strike thinking she doesn't work hard enough. For real. After all these years, I feel like that's the last thing he's going to be thinking. I know. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think he'd like another look at those pajamas. Mm -hmm. He likes the Robin view. He does. He sure would. But I'm imagining now what will happen once they actually are together and they're spending their evenings with each other. Because I have a feeling that Strike is going to be the one telling Robin to put the bloody laptop down, to stop working, to relax for once. No, but I just mean my point is that I don't want her to worry about what Strike thinks of her work ethic. Mm-hmm. I wish she'd realize that, I don't know. He thinks she's amazing. Yeah. He has no doubts about her work ethic. It's also cute because Strike does the same thing. He gets a new uncrumpled shirt. I hope he didn't bother struggling into travel because what's the point of working on zoom if you can't sit around in your boxers or whatever right oh, no we're on zoom right now fools is there something you want to i am wearing about? pants i am okay. they are pajama pants mm-hmm. very comfy for the record but... pants for us means no pajama trousers what do they call them? i don't know but Sounds pants so weird pants doesn't mean what pants no, mean underwear okay no. yeah i've got layered leg layers <laughs> on the legs <laughs> okay yeah I'm fine with Strike being in his boxers on a Zoom call. Yeah, that's fine. That's all I was saying. So Nicole immediately says that she's not paper white. Does anyone remember if they believed her? Yeah, I don't think that I had even briefly considered that she might not be telling the truth, mainly because there's not that much book left for them to try and figure (laughs) out the truth if they weren't able to catch her lying during the interview initially. But I feel like it becomes pretty clear really quickly that Nicole has no idea who paper white is what that is about VCAS or anything. I believed her too. Nicole speaks so matter-of-factly about sending this mm-hmm. nude to her boyfriend and isn't at all upset that it's making its way through Drex game. Yeah. But her father was really entertaining yeah. to me. Oh my God, me too. Her poor parents. I know. They both seem so long-suffering. It had mm-hmm. me cackling. The moment where they both say Nicole I in know. the exact same tone, you know that's not the first time they've had to do that. It's um, amazing. Yeah. Speaking to the nude, I'm glad for Nicole that she's so confident and chill. And I really hope for her sake that she doesn't come to regret having photos like this out here. It's just she's so young. Can she fully really comprehend all the possible consequences of this? Can she understand Mm. that maybe her older self might not feel the same way she does now, I say, about a completely fictional character? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's how we talk about all of them, so it's fine. We might as well just keep it up. Why start understanding this as fiction? Yeah, I personally would not feel this way if it were me, but it was definitely entertaining to read. It was hilarious. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It was very funny. We find out that her ex-boyfriend is Marcus Barrett, and if that name sounds familiar 
here to you. Congratulations on your amazing memory. But Barrett is the name of Darcy Barrett or the girl Gus was pretending to date. Yeah, Darcy, the name that was mentioned once 647 (laughs) pages ago. Did you count? Yeah, I did count because I was like, (laughs) holy shit. But this is how Gus got that picture, right? Yeah, it was that Darcy went to the same music school, right, that Gus went to and Uh she invited him to a party. And he had tried to kiss her or something. She didn't accept his advance. And then at some point he had hacked into Marcus's iCloud while he was there. Yes, he must take revenge for her not allowing him to kiss her, right? That's why he wrote on the Reddit, too. Oh, so I guess it was mentioned slightly more recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to go back and recount. And, you know, I have to say that my initial reaction was to kind of roll my eyes at Nicole for wanting to protect her ex and not give this information. But I actually changed my mind pretty quickly because she was really convincing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that if I was at all suspicious that she was lying initially that faded by the end of the chapter she's totally believable she Mm -hmm. was she was open she was cooperative she had normal emotional reactions to things i mean maybe her parents would argue otherwise (laughs) for that last one yeah (laughs) but i did not have a speck of doubt over here i was like oh yeah okay and i don't know why but i find it so sad when strike asks about morehouse she says that she doesn't know him until he uses his real name and then she says that she noticed him following her on Twitter and liking all of her tweets. The image of VCAS faithfully liking every one of this girl's tweets, thinking it's paper white. Yes. That's breaking my heart a little. Yeah, that's exactly why I find it so sad. Yeah. Oh my God. I hadn't had my daily five minutes of sadness about Morehouse yet. (laughs) Gotta fit that in. And as much as I wanted her to give them her ex's number because it's kind of looking like maybe he could be anime. Mm -hmm. Number one, I knew that he couldn't be because... He wasn't someone we're already aware of. You know, that would be cheating. One of the great things about these mysteries is that Joe always plays fair when it comes to the killer. So it's not going to be somebody. Yeah like this. Yeah. I also just kind of like that she stood up for her friend and refused to blindside him like that. I know it's not what Strike and Robin want, but it made me like her. On a human level, it's just a decent thing to do. And then this is such a good ending. When they'd vanished from the screen, Strike and Robin were left staring at each other. Shit, said Robin. Well, yeah, said Strike. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. (laughs) I love that it's now just the two of them in the space time. Me too. Do you think they carried on and just had a proper debrief? Oh, I hope so. I just really like the idea of them hanging out on a video call with each other, I guess. I know, I do too. Oh, that's really cute. Maybe they'll do that in The Running Grave. if That would be so great when she's in the cult. So what are we doing next time, Ken's? So in our next regular episode, we'll be doing chapters 98 through 102. And in this set of chapters, we have Robin making a breakthrough in the case. Strike and Robin argue about Strike taking risks in his condition. We get a really, really good part in that chapter. Love that part. So good. And then Strike threatens Ashcroft, the pedophile, with a fun amputation. <laughs> yes! That is, yes! That is a really great teaser, Ken. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy what you've heard, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the SE Files Pod. You can also contact us on our website at thesefilespod.com or email us directly at sefilespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for listening, and we hope to catch you next time for another episode of The Strike and Ellicott Files.